Welcome to Leportee, your weekly destination to hear about what happened in the hospitality industry around the world last week. I am Miriam and this is Mish. Hello. What we do is look through hundreds of newspapers so you don't have to. We also keep you updated on global events, what's up in academia and what softwares are currently changing in the industry. Well, we, uh, we try our best to stay uh, close to facts, but we also add a bit of our opinion on top. Well, let's jump right in, because today we have a special guest, which is very dear to my heart. Um, hello, Victoria. Hi, thank you so much for having me on, guys. <laughs> Such a pleasure. I would like to start uh, with introducing Victoria quickly, so all of you know who Victoria is. Um, so yeah, after earning a Bachelor of Science in International Hospitality Management from Ecole Hôtelière de Lausanne, Victoria expanded her hospitality passion further to one of wellness. And um, yes, she became a certified personal trainer, yoga teacher and life coach while she studied nutrition on the side. Pretty exciting. Also, then at the end, Victoria merged her hospitality expertise with wellness and established the established the company VS Wellness Consulting. So today she is a boutique consulting firm helping wellness center, restaurants, hotels, and even institutions to create an innovative offering of wellness. Victoria, welcome so much. Thank today. you for the lovely we're intro. Really, we're so excited to hear about what news you have brought us. I think it's such a special perspective to have wellness and hospitality together. Um, so yeah. yeah, are you ready to maybe even start your first um, news that you've chosen from your specialty? Definitely ready to jump in straight away. So one of the, the first news that I chose because it's pretty overarching and um, was pretty big news in the industry in general was that the global wellness industry is now worth 5.6 trillion US dollars. Wow. So that's really big news. Um, there's a big institute called the Global, Global Wellness Institute, which does research on the wellness industry. And they actually publish reports every so often. And their latest report really published this specific figure. And obviously, it's a massive figure. Um, they mentioned the article as well that by 2027, the wellness industry wellness industry will actually be twice of Germany's GDP. So it's huge. Um, the reason I chose this article is just because it shows the magnitude of it. It shows the direction of the industry. And of course, growth like this is only ever pushed forward by growing demand. And the article also mentions quite a bit about hospitality in there. So as Miriam said in the intro, my focus is the merge between hospitality and wellness. So my clients are um, F&B, mostly hotels, but also um, restaurants, institutions, etc. And I help them to really develop wellness concepts. So using all the latest um, research and trends within within wellness to actually create unique offerings based on the institution's uh, space requirements, specific business goals, um, budget, etc. So this article also had a little bit about hospitality in there, which is really interesting. So it did mention uh, quite a few hospitality companies, brands that are really going into wellness and how actually 
you know, this is this is not only a nice to have at the moment, it's really a, a must have. And we can see that specifically within luxury and luxury hospitality, that's really where the hospitality industry is going. And so there's even a quote in the in the article where it says every big brand has conned on to this notion that wellness is the new battleground for super luxury hotels. Mm. So that's that's what I wanted to share with you today. I mean, it's super right. Of course, I, I saw the article before and I already started looking at it a little bit. Um, I think for us, because, you know, Mission and I have worked for a service apartment provider, which has kind of like cut down on all the services. Um, so no restaurant, no spa is really just room. So for me, um, I think what you said about that, it's mainly in the luxury, in the luxury hospitality. I think it gets, it, what, what's your view on it? Because I have really seen also many hotels kind of removing their spa, their spas because of increased, you know, electricity costs. So it's very expensive to maintain a pool or something like that. So I think from what I've seen that it, it, they are getting a bigger wellness offering in luxury hotels, whereas in like, let's say mid-scale um, budget hospitality gets completely removed. What is your, what is your view on that? Yeah. So it's interesting, right? Because previously the spa was the space for wellness within a hotel and mm. that's changed so much where the wellness industry obviously it's still so broad and sometimes we don't fully know how to define it that's kind of what the global wellness institute does is it breaks it down into sections mm. but there's so much more when it comes to hospitality than just the spa as well so for example with my clients most of them are in the luxury space but i do have mm. maybe some clients that are more in kind of the not budget but a, within like, let's say the four star space. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not necessarily about adding kind of a more luxury, let's say spa element, but it's about how do you actually add more wellness without increasing the budget, without having more space. So you can have mm. wellness offerings that are not necessarily like that. So I could imagine a budget hotel, for example, cutting down on spa space, but then I don't know, maybe in the rooms there's on the iPad an app where you have meditation or yoga available. So you can actually offer things mm -hmm. while staying within a budget realm while still offering wellness because a guest is expecting it. Uh, and okay. would you say that um, most of this, this kind of, the industry sounds pretty big. I mean, it's almost bigger as the travel industry itself. Um, is that all kind of allocated then? I would mention it's not actually allocated all in hospitality itself, right? It's probably spread out across <clears throat> a million, a million other different stores and shops and businesses that actually don't have anything to do per se with hotels, but a, a standalone, right? Is that a problem? Exactly. Right? Exactly. So the biggest kind of bubble within the hospital, within the sorry, the wellness industry is beauty. Um, so obviously with all the bubbles, you can kind of find a way for it to tie into hospitality. I mean, you have beauty, obviously within hotels, you will have um, obviously spas or facials, or they'll be selling cosmetic products or whatever that might be, but obviously not necessarily always within hospitality, right? Even the sport or nutrition are all part of the wellness industry without necessarily being tied to hospitality. 
It's pretty good news for the industry. I mean, we've been looking at uh, quite a lot of news about other industries, right? Let's say business travel and all of them haven't recovered uh, after the post-COVID sort of uh, crisis. And this one seems to be booming. So people really need to relax, especially when they're locked in their rooms for for two years. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think COVID definitely brought that awareness of just there's also the preventative side, which has really grown where it's not just waiting until you're, until you're ill to do something about it. So people are also traveling with the intention of, I don't want to come back from my travels feeling worse than when I left because I spent my time eating crap, uh, drinking, whatever. I want to come back feeling even better, feeling more refreshed. Um, I want to get back into work having more energy than when I left before my holiday, which means that maybe my holiday is spent focusing on sleep, focusing on exercise, focusing on eating well, focusing on restorative. Um, yeah. Cool. I think on that note, we can move on to the next piece of news. <clears throat> um, sure. Slightly different uh, side of the of the world here. Um, may, some of you might be familiar with um, the, the element of trying to protect local cities and areas from tourists because tourists destroy them, you know, by walking in there, throwing the garbage away and whatsoever. Uh, well, some countries do it a bit different. <laughs> Apparently in Cambodia, 10,000 locals were forced removed uh, from the houses and the areas they lived in next to the Angkor Wat Temple, probably mispronouncing that. It's a pretty famous temple in, in Cambodia, and they've decided to remove the locals to quote-unquote protect it uh, from, <laughs> from them. And um, yeah, uh, want to basically now set up extra stuff to make sure that the tourists, of which they're currently the latest numbers are 2.2 million a year, can still attend and look at it. So um, it's a pretty compact piece of news, but <laughs> I just wanted to discuss it because um, <laughs> often not um, tourism industry is blamed for all kinds of problems, right? <laughs> but it seems like actually politics might be the, at the source of the all kinds of problems for the for the locals. What would you say? Wait, what? So the locals are destroying. Their heritage <clears throat> site is that? No, they're not. It, it, it's it's a claim by the government, right? They're saying let's remove the ten thousand locals, which they wanted to do for a while, because they live there and probably make the Angkor Wat Temple not look too good. I'm assuming here, right? But it is it's locals who live there, right? So uh, there isn't oh, any so proof. It's kind of in like the... a, a a political move to get rid of the people living there. Yes, and basically expand uh, the tourism operations. Wow. They're also they're also building a new airport right next to it. So it might be to do that as well. If they're building a new airport, they're expecting to want to build more hotels, I'm assuming, and potentially don't have enough space to do so. Uh so so there you go, Europeans. You know, next time you complain about your local government, think about others. <laughs> <laughs> Think about other governments. Damn. Wow. Yeah, but it is, right? It's to it's to make money to get tourists in and then you just kinda you just remove whatever is there originally. It just sounds so Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, at, at the same time, I mean I'm not saying this is a good thing, but at the same time, you know, I guess you'd hope that the the locals are benefiting from additional tourists. Yeah. I mean, they're not getting much income from much else in Cambodia. <clears throat> no, no, it's probably mm -hmm. quite a large section of the GDP for the government, right? So I, I'm sure, I'm sure. 
Crazy that it also goes the other way around, huh? Than what yeah. we usually talked about. And I haven't heard of that one in a while. Interesting, an interesting article. I mean, I also have an interesting article. <laughs> Let's go. Like, I, tell us. Tell us. <laughs> Please go. Go for it, Mary. Um, as you know, like I have worked for Booking.com in the past, and I was super impressed. You know how what data they're collecting. Um, really, they have such good market insight on who is booking when, for how much, at which location, micro location, and so on and so on. And I've seen in the news this week that um, Airbnb and Booking.com started sharing some of their analytics with um, the local governments. Um, I mean, it's just, I've just seen it for the UK for now. Um, but fact that they're doing it, they're saying that they're um, doing it to support um, community and tourism. Um, I was just kind of, because usually that data is, is kind of, that was what their kind of business advantages or like at least one of them. So I find it really interesting that they start sharing it um, with UK officials. What do you guys think? Huh. It sounds like somebody's being uh, forced to, to share their data. <laughs> Not, uh, especially with... So, I mean, just to clarify, are they sharing it between each other or with the government? Cause the with government... the government. Okay, Not so... with each other, with the government. Okay, then, I mean, to me, that's just... Right, that's basically simple statistics, uh, mandatory yeah. statistics reporting, so... But... Why is that a mandatory, like, reporting? I think it's it's like part of their business advantage, like, right? In Not, you don't have to share your business secrets or the data you collect in jet otherwise. From a little bird I know, I heard that in Hanover, uh, Airbnb was also uh, forced to start sharing statistics. Mm. And uh, then the local government called the Finanzamt, or mm. for those who don't speak German, uh, the financial authority that's responsible for collecting taxes, checked on Airbnb hosts that actually report the fact that they have an Airbnb. And suddenly wow. the, the, the inventory of Airbnbs in Hanover dropped by like half. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, that's that's already one <laughs> pretty major okay, one, I would say. Um, yeah, but that is, that is different. You're kind of checking on, on people having Airbnb, right? But if they're sharing their, like, booking, in, like, not, the, not the, the, the people or the names or something, it's anonymous what they're sharing, but they're sharing, like, yeah, number of, of rooms and stuff, like, and rates and occupancy and stuff like that. Which, yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, Airbnb started with this kind of very, you know, free market spirit, right? And it's just, mm. then you get the government involved in it. I don't know. Do you know what kind of impact that'll have long term? Mm. I mean, I just, I thought it was interesting because I thought it was like one of their USPs. And now mm -hmm. they're sharing it with the government. It, I mean, yeah, it becomes kind of public. All right, let's move on to the next news. Victoria, what do you got? So my next news is that Lanzerhof is opening a health resort in Spain. So Lanzerhof, for those who don't know, is kind of a giant in the uh, Medispa space, one of the oldest ones in Europe, based the kind of original was in Austria. And they're opening in Spain, and the reason why this is interesting. Why it's important is because it once again just really highlights the growth of this industry and how 
spas and medical spas and wellness clinics and wellness resorts are really booming and within Europe as well. A lot of them are expanding, expanding overseas, expanding um, into different locations, into different also kind of segments. So here as well in the article, it mentions how Shaw, which is another huge one, is opening in Mexico, about how the ranch is actually opening in Italy as well, kind of relaying back on that previous article as well. Um, it was in that previous article was also saying about how there is um, an Amman in New York, which is kind of Amman opening its first wellness focused city hotel. So there's just this huge growth in this industry at the moment, a lot of expansion in different areas. Um, we have as well Clinique La Prairie uh, from Switzerland launching in China. So it's not just within Europe. We really see this kind of massive expansion overseas from these kind of initially standalone wellness clinics or health resorts. I, I think like I have two questions. One is maybe a bit of a basic one because what exactly is the difference between a normal spa and a medical spa like what is the additional kind of invest you need to do in order to have a medical spa so there's a whole medical component so within a medical spa you'll actually have medical procedures meaning you need to have medical staff you need to have it's a different license as well just in terms of you know the kind of I guess investment from from their side, but also in terms of what you can actually offer. So for example, a medical spa can offer, um, let's say on the beauty side, they can offer actually invasive treatments, but they can also offer things like IV drips or things that are a bit more kind of on the medical side. So you will usually have doctors present. Whereas on the spa side, you're just, if it's just a spa, I mean, you don't have to have any of that. It can really just be therapists and you're offering perhaps um, massages, facials, maybe hydrotherapy or things like that. Mm, okay, so it's just really a big investment, like an additional investment on on kind of the the beauty aspects. Yeah, beauty, beauty and health as well, because yeah. you can have them with the presence of doctors. Maybe you're going more into the side of nutrition. Maybe you also have more, you're actually doing blood tests or stool tests to be able to guide the guest in terms of preventative health, for example. So it's really just a much bigger offering okay and, given, and how sorry go for it given the the hundred million dollar investment euro investment how, how much of a return on investment are they expecting i mean is that is there like an industry average for this because it's i mean i know for example there's hotel projects that go into paris and buy a building for 150 million and expect it to come back in 100 years literally because it's it's a huge investment and it's like an investment for the which it mostly you know like pension funds do that but like here is that is there going to be a is this going to go quicker than 100 years i mean i'd hope so i guess that the tricky thing is because there's this really big competitive push within the industry at the moment it's almost a grower grower die scenario where all these big players within the spa and medispa world are all taking this route and they're all expanding, they're all growing, they're all moving abroad. And you can imagine that the one that's just going on a standstill and staying where they are, they're just not going to be able to keep up. So, mm. you know, is it because there's this plan return, which is going to come really fast? Or is it just because you kind of have to, if you want to keep up with the industry at this point? I don't know. And so, you know, in the hospitality industry, we often have kind of the two branches. One is, you know, um, let's say investment funds who just really calculate whether 
a hotel investment makes financial sense, yes or no. And we have kind of the private owners who love, for example, to have a beautiful hotel in Ibiza out of kind of, kind of personal reasons. Um, and those have different kind of approaches and requirements of return on investment. Would you say owners of medical or of those big hotels or medical um, spas, are those rather the financial investors or rather the personal owners who have like a personal love for it? I which think it depends which it? which ones, but I'd say with Lanzerhof, I mean, Lanzerhof is kind of a giant in the industry. So I don't mm. think they're they're necessarily just doing it. Yeah. For, 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 for fun and love. <laughs> I doubt <laughs> it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And what would you say is the most profitable thing in a spa? Is it possible to share that? Like, what is the, is it treatments? Is it, as you said, like, like, let's say surgeries, or what would you say is the most profitable? In terms of actual, you know, one-off, it would probably be things like relatively simple treatments um, okay. and, and massages. Those tend to be the most profitable, let's say, but mm -hmm. there's only so much, you, you, you are very capped in terms of price. You know, you can't really go above and beyond with that kind of pricing so it's very easy to keep the cost down for those specific treatments but at the same time no matter how special your massage is it's a massage and there's very little you can do about that whereas mm. really if you are that's why these these medi spas these like mega medi spas that are then really having these huge health resorts with hotels attached when you can package it as a somewhat kind of a retreat you know, and you're including all these different elements in it, and you have a bit of a unique spin, then in terms of pricing, I mean, obviously, it has to be within, let's say, a reasonable range to keep up with the market. But at the same time, you have a lot more scope there. Mm. Okay, yeah, because somehow I always, I remember in the hotels, if it was a hotel with a spa, the spa was also always next to the restaurant, the least profitable department because, it, you know, it's very, yeah, right. You, and you, you know best that it's the personnel. It's very personnel intensive. It has a lot of costs in terms of electricity and so on and so on. You need to have a lot of maintenance to keep it clean and new. And so that was that that's why I, I am so interested in the profitability of those big. Um, yeah. Spa, yeah. wellness, beauty, and companies. For sure. But then these these places, for example, I mean, they're charging within the, I don't know, 30, 40,000 a week just to be there, right? So it's not, uh, yeah, it's it's not the, it's not, they're not paying for just a massage. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. So it's, yeah, I mean, then we're coming back to the luxury, right? Like to the luxury, to the luxury segment, the people who, um, for them, it doesn't really matter. Um, how much the week is, is going to be as long as it's nice and makes you feel amazing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, Mish, do you have a question or can I just keep going because I have more, you know? <laughs> no, no questions. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Mish, do you want to do you want to share your next piece of news? Sure, sure. That? Let's let, let's do that. Let's do that. Um, I mean, we have quite a few interesting other ones. Um, for me personally, I found um, it's a bit of a ch children's news for me. But uh, National Geographic uh, basically actually offers cruises 
So we've we've went into the topic of cruises. Uh, credit to uh, Monsieur Jeremy uh, a few weeks ago. Um, I don't know if you guys grew up reading the magazine. I did, <laughs> and um, to me, National Geographic is like the the pinnacle of um, sort of exploring nature, and it's it, it's it's quite a big um, media source, quite 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 a, quite a good one as well. Um, and they actually have a partnership apparently with uh, Lindl. Blood, uh, Lindblad. I don't know how to <laughs> mispronounce that, but um, um, basically, it's um, now they've decided to extend it, which is cool. So you can uh, go to this wonderful cruise operator and book tours now also available in Europe and Asia uh, with partner within partnerships of National Geographic. So when you read the magazine, let's say, right, you you they usually go to places that nobody's ever been before or, you know, so that's sort of that adventurous spirit. Well, you can take a cruise and you can explore the, the things that National Geographic uh, basically also explores, right? Which, of course, is going to be a bit more protected, right? You're not with a bunch of huskies going through the North Pole and trying to survive the cold. But um, still, it's, it's I, I find it quite interesting how in hospitality you can have very exciting partnerships that... Um, that kind of work on top of each other that maybe perhaps one didn't think about before, right? It's not, you don't have to just operate a boring cruise. You can also partner with the most amazing, most one of the most famous um, national exploratory magazines in the world, right? So is there um, maybe on top of that a question to our wonderful guest here? Is there partnerships like similar like this? Is there like some industry leaders that you kind of know? <laughs> I don't know, maybe Pfizer or something as a national cruise and offering or? Um, well, I hope not Pfizer, but uh, <laughs> I think that, yeah, within the wellness space, there's definitely kind of wellness-centered cruises. Um, I don't have, you know, specific names off the top of my head, but yeah, definitely. Those those partnerships do exist. Um so I think that that makes sense. I think the, the National Geographic one is interesting because I feel like in my head, National Geographic to me was always very, um, I don't know, kind of they would go to these secret places that you can imagine they're they're small and it's a small team and it feels very authentic. And to me, cruises is just like the opposite of that. <laughs> so, you know, to me that that it feels like a weird, a weird clash in a way same how can you how can you keep like an area really i mean for me exactly how can you keep an area really protected if you send i don't know how many people are on a cruise a thousand people or even more to to like a small protected area that to me is like completely counterintuitive so um, maybe it's worth mentioning. This isn't uh, going to be <laughs> a five thousand person cruise. They, uh, you can, if you, for wonderful listeners, they unfortunately cannot see this. But this is, for example, a type of boat that they would have. So the boats are much more smaller, much more compact, and uh, for example, designed to go to places that small, big, giant cruise ships uh, don't go to. Mm-hmm. They also don't mm-hmm. have the typical, um, uh, what you call it. Uh, yeah, itinerary where you go to, you know, Mallorca, then you go to Ibiza party, and then you go explore a uh, glacier that is melting. <laughs> so that's not going to be the schedule here. Uh, for example, one itinerary that they're offering right now is Antarctica, South Georgia, and the Falklands. And here is the boat, right, once again. So it's, it's a pretty mm. petite boat, right? It's basically like, let's say for those who, who can't see the picture, um, if you ever taken a boat from one island to another with a car, like a small boat with a few levels, that's what it is, right? Um it's still like more protected. A ferry boat. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, so in that so sense, it's more that's... like a, an expedition, an expedition than a cruise, right? Yes. It's like an expedition, kind of, kind of. Interesting. Approach. And I it just, goes I to just... places more than more extreme, right? So mm -hmm. I think usual cruises do not go to the South Pole. Mm. <laughs> that, okay. that would be yeah. So you say. No, I was just saying that I wonder, I feel like I also, you know, the word cruise in general comes with a certain connotation. So I feel like there might be an education piece of those who are interested in National Geographic. I wonder if they would have that same, you know, connotation with the cruise word and you'd have to educate them of, of how it's different. So uh, they have a tour, apparently, an itinerary going to Galapagos, and that's where they want to expand the kids program. Basically, have kids literally go through these places. It's like the most ultimate class trip you can ever have wow. <laughs> on the National Geographic boat, uh, being taught whatever, you know, how local species survive and so on and so forth. So it's That was definitely be a private school. But the price, <laughs> prices are sim similar to your to the spas and to the medical centers you talked about. So we're looking at the price here right now for Southern Odyssey, New Zealand, and Sub-Antarctic Islands. Per person, you have to pay 26000 Uh That Ooh. will be 20, 20 days. So perhaps the little kid from the neighborhood is going to be a half, having a tough time to collect money in his piggy, uh, pig, saving <laughs> piggy to to, to book the, that, uh, that tour. But maybe they offer something like, you know, uh, some someone can participate in the competition. I'm not sure. I'm speculating here. So yeah, that's <laughs> wow. It's quite cool though. It's interesting. Interesting for sure. Shows shows how the industry is very diverse in all kinds Definitely. of ways. Okay, I think on that uh, note we can move on to the next piece of news. Yes, uh, Mish, you have another one about the NGO starting a hotel. What's what's that about? Oh, you you were looking at the. The blog, you're not supposed to do that, no. <laughs> uh, so um, it's actually pretty, I mean, it's a very common piece of news, but um, there is a, <clears throat> all right, we're just moving on to this one, fine. <laughs> there is a charity called Viva Conagua. It's a, I think, as far as I know, it's a German charity, and their goal is to basically provide clean water to remote areas um, where people otherwise do not have it, right? You know, IKEA, for example, several regions in Africa. So recently they have partnered up with 19 private investors and have built a hotel slash hostel. And the goal of this hotel hostel, it is going to be operated by Viva Conagua. Well, I'm sure they're going to hire some, you know, maybe professionals from the industry. But uh, still, the, the profits from that business are going to go directly into the charity to keep funding whatever they do want to do, right? So basically, they're creating a for-profit kind of business that is then going to funnel money into the into the charity itself. Interesting enough, they um, have a very funny, well, not, not funny, but a very unique model I've seen. So the investors themselves are not allowed to pull money out of the project for the next 15 years, right? So you cannot just say, oh, I'm not interested anymore. Um, and even then, after 15 years, the charity itself has the right to buy it first so buy it off them before they try to sell to someone else but it's it's a very very straightforward concept and i mean to me it sounds like more charities should do that they do right but this is just another piece of news where cool this happens right positive yeah i think it's super nice that you picked that out because actually i think it's a model that is very often associated with youth hostels or something like that like when we speak about students you know having their class trips very very often they're subsidized from either charities or ngos or 
even local governments um, to to make it possible for people to travel or students to travel to, for on on a budget. So yeah, I think it's a very it's nice that we, we've never talked about that kind of business model yet. So it's really. Cool. If if you remember, Booking.com had this new category called sustainable sustainable hotels. I forgot the exact name, right? I think this would be actually much cooler if you could look for hotels that are charity driven or you know donate a part of them cash flow to charities. Mm. So I'm you know I'm not saying uh, everybody has to do it, right? But that would be an actual category that makes a difference, right? So I'm sure several hotels that are considered sustainable. Are not really sustainable. They just got a wonderful, yeah. no offensively against consulting firms, but somebody came in, gave them a certificate, then congratulations, you're sustainable, right? But here, this is a legit business, and you know, mm. they're literally creating clean water supplies for remote areas. So, and currently, as far as I know, you cannot find that on Booking, right? You cannot find charity mm. hotels, let's say, probably a very mm. poor, poor category, but. You know, still, you could start somewhere. <laughs> At the same time, you know, would that then bring in hotels that are ready to donate 0. 0.000 whatever, just to be on that? <laughs> yes, there's always, there's all kinds of creative greenwashing going on in the industry. Exactly. For but sure. This is cool. This is cool. It's interesting. Yeah, for sure. But the, yeah, it's a really nice real way of, of, of sustainable um, way. So, I mean, that makes me want to switch over to, to you, Victoria, again, if we speak about sustainability. I mean, it must be a huge topic um, in the wellness industry as well, right? Because, again, what we said before about the pools and how much water that needs and da 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 da, da. What would you say um, is the biggest or the coolest way of sustainability in the wellness slash hospitality field? Coolest way. I mean, yeah, it's tricky because wellness and sustainability sometimes are kind of seen as as one and the same in a certain way, although they are very different. I think that what's what's hard with this with the wellness element is that once again, it's like what is your focus? And when you are focusing on wellness, you're focusing on the well-being of the guest and their overarching health, and that doesn't necessarily correlate with sustainability. So, for example, in a lot of my projects, they have their own sustainability projects, which they maybe have mm -hmm. other consultants who are taking care of that. Um, there are obviously ways to kind of put them together, but I wouldn't necessarily say that wellness initiatives are by nature going to always be the most sustainable. They're not. Mm. All right. I suppose you can right make partnerships, right? I mean, to some extent, um, which benefit right but then directly the business model itself as you're saying isn't going to be very sustainable because you're inherently spending time relaxing in a let's say a pool yeah yeah there's that but then there's i mean if you think about it you know okay for an fnb point of view um for example there's one of a place i was working with that's a started off as a kind of very high-end restaurant that was very kind of farm to table and they had a big farm as well associated with the with the restaurant at first and then they built a hotel with it as well but obviously it was very high-end and that's where they're doing weddings and private events and functions and whatnot but they're growing their own food and and they've kind of made that part of the concept itself so i think if you see wellness in that form it can easily have a crossover we also have for example one of my projects at the moment in south thailand it's a very kind of nature immersion resort. And so they have these 
kind of like treehouse type villas that the whole concept is supposed to be really nature immersion. So for example, with me, recreating their spas is one part of the project. And so we're really focusing on what can we use from the organic farm that they have there in the resort uh, to make products that we're then going to use for the spa. So we are kind of trying to use that as well. How can we actually make products? How can we create interesting spa packages that, for example, they also have a rice field there in their resort. Great. How can we actually use the products from there and create a treatment out of it and use it as a selling point? So there can be interesting crossovers as well. So you don't buy shampoo from 5,000 kilometers away and ship it via plane? No. That's pretty, <laughs> that, that's pretty good start, I think, already, right? So. Yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty, they're pretty good on that. I mean, we we set as well goals when we started our project as well, and understanding them for them having things that are locally sourced, focusing on everything from Thailand is is one of their focuses. So, and I mean, also if you look at ESG, right? ESG, everybody knows ESG, and the S is in, in social, where it also is about well-being, even of the people who work there and the people who live there. So I think. <laughs> Depending Not in Cambodia. The worst. Um, I I said in ESG. That's where in ESG you have the S, the social aspect, right? Where I think wellness is can be part of, of that. Um, For sure. I, and I think this is also where we can move on to Victoria's last piece of news because it's kind of my. It kind of goes into that social aspect, um, but I let you take it away. Yeah, so this one's kind of a bit different. Um, and it basically just is, is an article in the Wall Street Journal, which is essentially saying that loneliness can increase risk of death. So this isn't necessarily new news, but the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because it highlights, I think, an issue that has been brought up in other um forms of media recently and is becoming more and more heightened, uh, especially with COVID as well. I think this became really something that we were talking about quite a lot. And the reason I wanted to bring this up as well is because I do see this a lot in new wellness concepts that are coming out and within hospitality as well, of actually how can we bring in that kind of social element. So I see this with a lot of my clients who are looking to add in a kind of social community aspect to the wellness concept that we're bringing in. So for example, one of my clients where we're creating um, this kind of wellness city hub, the idea is, okay, but we want to create a membership so that there's actually reoccurring guests. So yes, it's in a hotel, but there's also local clientele and people are coming back regularly and they have, they're like-minded. And in a way it kind of leverages off the idea that, well, if my friends are going, then I'm going to come back and you're going to increase um, return, you know, so you can kind of leverage your business off of that as well. At the same time, you know, that loneliness is an issue. People are looking for community and, within we can maybe use wellness as a way of bringing in that community aspect i mean i to me it's such a topic that i think since covid especially is so close to heart to my heart i think misha always makes jokes about me um, because sometimes i don't join social gatherings and this article literally says like 
people who have like a vivid social agenda <laughs> will live longer kind of that's how it, it's gone <laughs> and I, I thought Mish would totally pick that out because so often I'm like you know um, nah I'm going home because you know taking care of myself and I'm going to sleep <laughs> I think um, that that was, was very interesting but I do I mean I think if you if you have a family and you have friends sometimes we completely forget that certain people don't have that network right or have like this environment where they can kind of recharge or just be together um and how important yeah friendships family uh, relationships are for for our mental well-being um and i love the fact that hotels are are because hotel is an experience hospitality is an experience and that um, the social aspect and connecting to to other people becomes part of part of that. Um, I find it quite a an interesting evolution of the world. Let's say that we start actually thinking to create environments where people come together. How before um, we worked towards having more independence and freedom and not needing to be together and have more single apartments in cities than right for 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 big families. So. Yeah, I find it quite an interesting, interesting aspect. And also within that hospitality element, you know, obviously hotels are very transient. And I was discussing with a new project, a new client, um, about how we'd want to create something where even once a guest has gone, they can still be part of this community. And maybe mm. that is an online form and maybe, you know, not the same kind of connection as in person, but they would have had their moment in person where they would have gone to this retreat and done these also group classes and whatnot and connected with these mentors and these um, kind of wellness gurus and whatnot. And then they can continue that after leaving and mm. continue that connection and that community and then grow that community internationally based on the experience that they had in the location, which is interesting as well. Super. Mish, what, what's your point of view? I'm just thinking about Club Med. I don't know if you guys know it, but uh, you probably do, right? It's a pretty famous um, spa chain or sort of social gathering hotel chain where you go into and you're forced <laughs> to talk to people, to hang out with people. You you have to share tables. You have to it, basically a whole day is planned out for you, right? And then you hang out with groups of people and you, you're part of that. And I think that when I went there, uh, actually part of a university case where we had to study the, the culture there, uh, a lot of people told us they go here to meet other people, right? Especially singles. <laughs> so it's apparently a bit of a place where you can, uh, you know, find your potential date in the future, uh, or at least it used to be. Um, it's also for families, right? So, yeah, I mean, travel is, part of travel is supposed to be meeting other people. Um, I think if you've ever read any book ever about travel of any explorer, they quite a, they highlight quite a bit the element where they meet the locals who invite them for dinner and then they you know hang out at their place and sleep for free or something right so i mean it's just um you know travel more stay in spas and you will be healthy i suppose <laughs> <laughs> talk to people <laughs> exactly and i mean miriam right it's, it's it's not about hanging out with people every day it's just about that you don't spend the year alone in your room right so <laughs> <laughs> I, I think in that case you're, you're pretty fine when it comes to social life so um i think I we think have so. we have one more piece of news uh 
that is more externalities. And I just wanted maybe to talk about it before we, I guess, conclude the the the, the podcast. And it is if the economy <laughs> is going into recession. Whoa. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> so there is apparently, um, I found a pretty interesting article, right? We, we try to, for, we, well, not we try to, but every single newspaper, uh, blog, everyone, they always try to forecast what's going on and what's going to happen in the future. And it usually is pretty fertile. Or not. It's, not, it's not very productive because in the end, you just end up looking at the past 12 months of data, it doesn't actually tell you what's going to happen in a year, right? Not yeah. at all. Uh, but apparently, there is a rule in, um, in economics. It's called the SAM rule, or in, it's, that's the name of the, the woman who invented it, um, <clears throat> Mrs. Sam. <laughs> uh, so basically, it's a very simple rule. If at any given moment, the past 12 months, the unemployment statistics, by the way, this is specifically for the United States, but uh, I looked it up and it's very similar in other countries as well. Uh, zero, if the unemployment rate goes up by 0.5% within 12 months, uh, that means we're in a recession. So, right, because 0.5% of unemployment, such a huge change, that means uh, the economy is not doing too well. And this rule has actually been true since, so it was invented in the 1960s, and every time there was a crisis, this would also apply, or a financial crisis of sorts, right? Every single, almost every single time. So it's, it's, it kind of stays true to its form. Uh, well, we're actually getting slightly close to it now. We, we have a 0.3. 3% uh, unemployment increase since uh, the beginning of the year. Uh, so we'll see. But uh, the, the data says that we might actually have uh, reached, we might reach that next year. So uh, yes, 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 sad news. But um, I mean, in itself, right, this, this, if you look at the statistics, or if you look at the, every time this happened, it already kind of happens when people know there's a crisis. So, for example, this was the case in 2008. I think we all remember the the, the big news, you know, the, the the companies crashing on the stock exchange, blah, 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 right? So, uh, it might be a bit of a, just an indicator and not really a forecasting tool. And as the inventor of the, uh, the rule says, she wasn't trying to forecast anything. She was actually trying to give the government an indicator that they need to start doing some social implementation policies to make sure that a bunch of new people who are unemployed are actually covered and are not falling through the social net. So, uh, yeah. yeah. My, my question was going to be, every time there was a recession this was true but every time that it's true is there a recession you know what i mean is it one is it both ways or is it just one way uh, no no it's both ways so both it's, ways it's, yeah yeah so if this so that's the case that's the case if if the, if there is a 0.5% increase yes the recession is ongoing and if there's yeah and if there's a recession there is a 0.5% increase basically yeah but uh, like i said right it's not is this isn't going to happen, let's say, two years before the crisis. It happens during the year of the crisis. So, And if it's happening, we can, we're all kind of in the midst of it, so we know it's happening. <laughs> so it's not really a, a forecasting tool, like I said, right? But um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Next year should be fun in terms of... Uh, it, so it's really very interesting that the on, on a scale of the spa hotels and spa investment and sort of the wellness treatment investments, it's really high right now. Yet uh, on the other side of things, the economists are a bit worried. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, right? During hard time, people, people want to find things that make them feel good. And I think wellness is one of these, is exactly one of these things where people find ways of feeling better. Um, and, and if we mentioned that, you know, as we said, 
a lot of what we were speaking about was kind of related to the very high luxury segment, which, you know, people always have, that bracket will always have money, exactly. let's say. You always have people that have enough money to spend on those things. Huh. And, and according to the rule itself, we haven't reached that moment yet. So, right, it's 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 it's, it's just a, a reference to the past. So, so far we're good. Good times. Amazing. Victoria, thank you so much for being part of our podcast. Thank you so much for giving us more insight about um, the wellness hospitality uh, field. I'm just going to call it a field now because, you know, I think it's an amazing pairing and I don't know many people who are specialized in both areas. So it was such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. It was so lovely to speak with you. Thank you. That was definitely a pleasure. Um, I guess on that note, we can say thanks to the dear listeners uh, for joining us. Please feel to follow us and subscribe us anywhere where you're listening to us, whether it's Spotify or <laughs> iTunes uh, podcasts, uh, whatever. And feel free to go to leprechy.com to get the newsletter version with all the sources that we discussed this week. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you very much.